Greetings, welcome to T, the Educational Architect. I'm your host, Moore Salata. And in keeping with the importance of embodying one's voice, we begin today's episode by giving space for our guests to give us a self-introduction. Education begins from the day we're born. The influences around us, our parents' voices, what we hear in our household. In my household growing up, there was lots of music because my father played the piano beautifully. And so I got to listen to him do riffs on, on Bach inventions and then go from that to something jazzy like from Errol Garner, who was one of his favorites. That was what I heard when I was going to sleep at night. The other primary influence would be storytelling in the form of books because our house was filled with books. My mother loved to read novels. My father enjoyed reading, you know, newspapers. Those were the days when newspapers were actually made of paper. And so dad would read two or three newspapers every day. And that was just the way things were. And then the third leg of the tripod, of course, was the storytelling that came around the Sunday or holiday dinner table when we were entertaining family. And as I grew up, especially when I was very young, was fortunate to have my parents, my grandparents on both sides, and my great-grandparents, because my father's grandparents were still living. And my great-grandmother had a sister and brother living as well. So I was able to listen to the stories. This is the pre-Netflix world. I was able to listen to stories around the dinner table about you know, what happened down the street, what happened across town, what so-and-so said in their letter, what was in the newspapers. And at that time, the Negro press was very important in our communities. And so what, what was it that the Call and Post or some of the other Pittsburgh career have to say about this situation or that situation? And then lastly, my great-grandparents were great storytellers when it came to family history. Now at six years old, I did not realize that the great adventure story of Abraham going to pick up his bride in Buffalo, New York, in a horse and buggy. I thought that was in 1838, by the way. I thought that was a marvelous adventure story. Had no idea that this was based on a real Abraham going to pick up his real bride, whose name was Mary Louisa, in 1838 from Buffalo, New York. And they came all the way back to Delaware, Ohio. Um, you know, this is the pre-Delta airline era, you know. <laughs> There was no Ford automobiles, you know, this is, but of course, as a child, you listen to these stories and think they're real. That was the beginning of my education. I was educated in the public schools and in Columbus, Ohio, where I grew up, where we had amazingly committed teachers, including one teacher in my high school experience who was very instrumental in nurturing my creative writing talent. And then I transitioned from there to um, a liberal arts college in Ohio, Ohio Wesleyan University, and then from there to the University of Louisville, which is where I graduated. But that is the paper education. The rest of it is made up of the experiences, uh, not only classroom, but conversation with both educators and other students and friends. What I learned from parents what I learned eavesdropping on adult conversations. <laughs> um, and, and how 
that changes as we get older. What you heard when you were age 10 and thought, wow, what is that? That doesn't make any sense. And then, you know, 40 years later, you might, it might surface and you think, oh, that's what that was about. You know, education is so much. It's, it's the experience of travel, uh, which I got to, was fortunate enough to be able to do, to see how people live in other places in the world and recognize that while they may do things differently, they are not necessarily different, better than or less than I am. And what can I learn from that experience? The experience of studying other languages, which for me was so much fun. Studying French, for instance, which I had not spoken for 20 plus years. And then I went to Paris and literally landed and began speaking French. It was so bizarre, but it was great. <laughs> Learning Sanskrit, studying Mandarin in college. Again, that's learning. All of its education, just living and maneuvering through the world. If you're paying attention, if you are present, then you learn that, you know, that kettle you just turned off on the stove is still hot. <laughs> you learn to pay attention to the caution lights in your head when you are in a certain situation and, and something doesn't feel right. I think education is, is a holistic and very broad experience. It's a small word to describe a very broad experience, I guess I should say, because it, you know, you are always learning if you're doing it right. If you're doing this life correctly, you are always learning. And, and that's how I would describe my origin story. When we're on a topic of, you know, education by any means necessary, we're really talking about are um, really intimate fundamental experiences that you have in, in life and how you hopefully are taking things from that and learning about who you are, what you can do, what is possible. I, and I think what you can do and what is possible, not always the same because sometimes what you can do is limited by social That's norms true. and society around you and it limits your possibility. But having a foundation and you talk about your parents and your the music in your home and the reading in your home and how that was fertile ground for you to be able to do a little bit you know I, I think yes uh, not a little bit but more so and you say your your dad played piano right do you yes play, do you play an instrument I I don't anymore but yes I took piano lessons I had to. I mean, dad played, my father played beautifully. And so I took piano lessons. And of course, you know, it, we had orchestra and band in school. So I played an instrument in school, uh, both uh, middle school and high school. Music was part of growing up. That was enrichment as well. Yes. And, and, and what is that phrase? You have to see it to be it. You know, I saw my father at the piano. I saw my mother reading a book. I saw my grandparents reading books and or newspapers. So I knew this was part of my education. Nobody had to tell me that reading was important. I knew it because my, you know, JW was reading a newspaper. Uh, my dad was playing the piano. So I knew that music was important. JW, um, that's And your... those are the, that would be my father's father. Yes. Oh, okay. Yeah. 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 And, and people are doing the things, you know, yeah. what is that old saying? Like, do as I say, not as I do. That doesn't work. <laughs> no, no. You have to see it. You have to see, you know, you see someone doing it and then you think, well, maybe I can, if, if she can do that, then maybe I can give it a try. Maybe I don't have her talent and I can't do it like, you know, as she does. 
but she's doing it. So maybe that's possible for me. And yeah. so the things that I saw in my home, you know, were things that enriched me and, um, and some of them were expected. It was expected that I would read because everybody read. Yes. I was not going to be a concert pianist, but it was expected that I would take some music and, and have that level of, you know, introduction to what it's all about. And I think, and that, I did. And the, you know, having that exposure to these like non, I guess the, the non-standard uh, curriculum, which is reading, writing, and arithmetic, right. but the arts, right. like music was part of my house too. My mom sang jazz. She was awesome. She was so just beautiful. And I came towards the end of everything. So my, <laughs> I was number, number 12. Yeah, right? I'm number 12. So I missed like all the highlight. I came at the end of the movie. So, <laughs> but, but even that little bit that I saw, it, I think yeah. she would still go out and sing occasionally, maybe once or twice a year when I was about like nine or 10. And I remember seeing her get ready. It was just like, it was, it was beautiful just to see her get ready to go out. And she would sing a lot. She would sing a lot around the house. And my, and I have um, six other sisters. All of my sisters could sing. This is like one of the reasons I never even attempted. I'm like, yeah, I'm just gonna find something else. <laughs> you don't sing? <laughs> like, nah, but I danced. So this okay. is when, when public schools used to have like all the arts, like we had dance class and you could, in, in high school, I took dance, it looked, I took modern dance and ballet and this was yeah. in the 1980s and like, wow. So yeah, right. that's what I was going to do. I was just going to go be a dancer for Alvin Ailey was my, my, my yeah. ultimate goal. But it's about, and you, and you talk about studying different languages. I like to hear a little bit about that because learning music that's a language dancing with your body that is a language language and it triggers parts of your brain that helps Mm -hmm. with the regular stuff like reading writing that's exactly right so I'm like if you have so yeah so you have exposed yourself to all these different languages from music to language so and when did you start studying languages you know, it's interesting, you were talking about what was in the public schools at the time that you went. When I went, there was also music education. I don't remember us having a dance class, but we had dance clubs. So mm-hmm. people who were interested, you know, like-minded people. But in our school, even in the elementary school, they did a brief, maybe it was a half a year, introducing the kids to different languages. Wow. In elementary school, I ended up with German. <laughs> all things but because I was taking piano yeah I was familiar of course with the Austrian and German composers but I was also introduced to the Italian who you know because all of that's embedded in a musical score so then in high middle school we were required to study at least one year I think of a language and and my mother encouraged me to do French and I took that through high school and then in college I to French, but they were teaching other languages at the high school level, for instance. Well, all many different languages. And I I said, you know what? Mandarin, something very different. Yes. I was surrounded by that as well. My dad served in in World War II. He served in Italy. Okay. So he came back with a, you know, a rudimentary knowledge of Italian. Mm -hmm. My mother was one of those people who could just pick up languages easily. She had studied French and Spanish. So she picked up a little Italian as well. So she could speak both a little French, more Spanish and some Italian. It was just something that people did. 
And then I remember in middle school, we had a teacher who taught all the language classes, French, mm -hmm. Spanish, German, but she could speak all the Romance languages plus Sanskrit, if you can imagine this, yeah. um, and Russian. Now, this, this is an African-American woman who, I forget where, I think her degree may have been from Howard. Uh -huh. She had a master's degree in languages and was studying a PhD, I think, when she was teaching us in middle school, in Columbus public schools. Uh -huh. I mean, this is phenomenal. Yes. So in any given class, you might get a little bit of the German you were studying, but she might throw in some Sanskrit on you. So it was there, <laughs> you know, it was just there. And what it made you want to do is visit the place where the language is spoken. I, I appreciate like there are two parts of your, you know, elementary life, your young life that comes together, like you're studying piano and then of all languages in school, there happens to be German, but then there's a connection. It makes sense. And that like how you bring interest is not is is not through compartmentalizing what we learn, but it's by connecting what we learn, giving you know children this inter interdisciplinary aspect of it. And we have to off. I think now you, that has to be done much more overtly, purposefully, like part of the curriculum because it's not necessarily what everybody's doing. Cause I think earlier you said, That's you know, true. everybody, you know, this is what people did. And it's like, now we're in a time of so much of what people don't do as far as when it comes to right. education. So it has to be, you know, much more purposeful. I mean, I study Arabic. It was like required in my family. And when I was growing up to study Arabic, cause we we're black Muslims mm -hmm. in Detroit, mm -hmm. um, but we were still my family and my mom, my dad were slightly different because they were part of the nation of Islam, which wasn't necessarily really connected to like Orthodox Islam. But in right. my house, my mom was like, you need to learn Arabic. Everybody has to start studying yes. Arabic just because yeah. how you expect to understand a book if you're just going to read translations of it. Like that was, right. <laughs> she was like, right. you need to read it in Arabic. I'm like, oh, okay. So, but those, the, the, I remember the way I felt when I could understand something. It's just like, it's like a glow inside. It's like you want to run around yes. as a kid, like, look what I can do. Look yes. what I can do. You're in a different world. It, it gives you a footstep into a different world. And that is, that can be so enriching. You know, look at all of the places in the world where Arabic is spoken and yes. the great poetry and literature that had its beginnings in Arabic and then was translated to whatever, whatever, yes. whatever, you know, all of that, you know, there's so much richness there and, you know, that's your open door. And you talked a little bit about one of your teachers. I know you said teachers in, are very important to you and I'm just, I think it's wonderful that you had the opportunity. Was it elementary school that you had the teacher who spoke all the languages from Howard or? That was Mrs. She was in uh, middle school. That's so I had her in seventh, seventh grade. <laughs> yeah. She so, was something else. <laughs> I don't know. Do you want to spend some time talking about some of your teacher interactions? That would be, I mean, you did talk a little bit about, you know, this paper versus experience, but they also bleed together because you talked about your interactions in the classroom, but also with people. I definitely want to talk about Juanita when you said part of the creation of that particular novel was you know, having to do with how you use reading as a place to go. So, right. but, and if you, I guess we can go ahead and transition because I, I found you, like I said, I want to say this on record. I found you by watching Netflix. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. 
So thank Netflix you. and thank chill. You, Netflix. Netflix and chill can actually be educational. This is the plug for it. The yes, educational they can. Yes, they can. benefits of Netflixing and actually just chilling. Um, That's right. That's but, exactly right. Well, I actually, it was, I guess I... Thanks for listening to The Educational Architect. We will return after this brief break. I found you through Alfre Woodard, who I love. And I was, I was looking for movies that she was in. So, you know, like movies, strong black female lead, you know? <laughs> there she is. <laughs> and it came up and I was like, oh, let me watch this. And so I watched the movie and, and I'm like, oh, this is based on an actual book. And then a year later, now it did take me a long time, but I did finally get to the book. And that's why I reached out to you. I'm like, this is awesome. And it's because as an educator and reading just the first few chapters of the book, I'm like, oh my gosh, literacy is so important. I love the person who wrote this book. So <laughs> I came to you through that. And so, yeah, I'm pretty sure you don't sit down to write, like, let me write the novel that shall be a movie. <laughs> No, it's not quite that easy. <laughs> so, and I think this also goes into thinking about, you know, what is diversity of educational thought? There's so many ways we can get to the road of, you know, increased literacy skills other than the traditional, you know, going through formal school education. Right. Books are a good way of doing that. They definitely are. And sometimes it happens when it needs to happen because again, the major character in the book is not that she's not literate. It's not that she can't read anything, but it's, you know, oh, the term functional literacy. You know, we right. use like people are functionally literate. Right. Um, but the transformation that reading takes for her in this particular text. And I asked, why was that, you know, yeah, a particular, when you, I mean, was that like, by design, I guess, like when you start, like, I need to have literacy or it's more so just hyper-focused because she's teach composition. <laughs> <laughs> no, no, it was not. It, it was, it was my response to a woman. And, and I think I said this a little earlier, my way of escape during the years when I was probably working more hours than I should have because I needed to, my way of escape was reading a book. Here's a woman who needs, she desperately needs an escape. She's an average woman. She, she is not a woman of, of means or resources. She doesn't have a whole lot of help. She's focused on doing what she has to do to keep her family fed and taking time for herself. There is no time for herself or so she thinks. Yes. And it almost, and it literally takes a sack of books falling on her bad toe for her to realize, you know, boom there. And then you know, you, all the curse words come out and then she picks up the <laughs> books and it's like, what is this? It's almost like somebody's out there saying, you know, I'm going to give Juanita a little message and a little push and they drop the books on her toe. You know, he, here's, here's what she needs to do to grow, to take herself on a journey. What I had wanted to do when I wrote this character, my Juanita was a response to all of the adventure and romance novels that were out there at the time. And none of the characters looked anything like me or had any relationship to me at all. They, they went on great adventures, but I thought, well, what is a, when's a girl like me going to take an adventure like that? Uh -huh. And how would she do it? And, and that's sort of how it evolved. And I thought, okay, she picks up a book where somebody else is having an adventure. And then she decides, you know what? 
I think I'm going to have an adventure and I'm going to curate my own adventure. And that is what she does. And it was sort of from that thinking that Juanita was launched. I wanted to get her and I sent her out to Montana because I wanted to get her out of that comfort zone. Where would she be least comfortable? She could thrive in Chicago. She'd be fine in LA. She would even be okay in um, Atlanta. But how's she going to be in South Dakota? How's she going to (laughs) be on a mountaintop in in Colorado? Mm, Not so good. So she needs to go someplace that she's terrified of going to be in a situation that she would never have thought she'd find herself. Yeah, and that, and just putting that, particular character in a place of uncomfort actually it brings me back just to like how we learn we we usually have to have some you know just some dissonance some something that makes us pay attention so discomfort is a good place you know safe discomfort is a good place when I talk to the people who take my class because I try not to call them students all the time because I don't think that's really humanizing language I know we have to use it, yeah. but I try to pay attention to that. So the people who take my classes and when I say, well, I'm confused, I'm like, that is great. That's probably like the best place to be right now, because if you're confused right now, once we work through and reorder some of this information and then, you know, that confusion will lead you to a better place. So yes, of understanding, you know, I don't know why you should do a two paragraph introduction. I don't know, but how you right. can learn from discomfort and being moved out of just routine. Cause you know, it's not that you're comfortable routine in of it in and of itself. Cause it, it could be, it could be a bad routine, but it's comfortable for you. <laughs> right. Right. Well, it's, it's the same logic that we use for plants. I'm, I'm looking at a plant I have over here. Mm-hmm. It was pot bound. It was pot bound. And, and when that happens, you know, they don't grow well. And so it, it needed to be in a different environment. It needed a larger pot. So I took it out, put some potting soil in, did a few little things, put it in a larger pot and it's doing its thing now. Sometimes we get pot bound and it's, it, it can be comfortable for a while, but after a while, you know, you really do need to get, to get out of that space. Yeah. Especially if you can have something that says, you know, there's something else outside of my bubble, whatever is my bubble is made of. And what I really appreciate about your, that, the character in say the full title of the book for me. So I can stop dancing on the edge, dancing on the edge of the roof. Yes. That, that sounds like I will open that anyway. That just sounds like fun to like, this has to be an adventure. But what I appreciate it about that particular character is where she is in life, like chronological time. You know, again, earlier we we're saying how how the world might see us or box us in, especially, right. you know, being, you know, part of a uniquely marginalized group of human beings as black women in America. I think she's like in her mid 40s or something. So at this point yeah. to say, oh, you might as well just keep doing what you've been doing because it's about over for you to say, no, it's not. It's never. <laughs> That's right. That's right. It's never over. And 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 I don't know if you if you paid attention to the um, not if you paid attention, but if you noticed the inscription, the title of the book is based is taken from a quote by Wilma Mankiller who was at one time the principal chief of the Cherokee Nation, one of the first women to hold that position in modern times. And Wilma said, you know, that women and girls need to take risks. Mm. 
to do things. And that sometimes is a lot like dancing along the edge of a roof. And that's where I got that title from. And I do, I try not to dance along the edge of a roof in heels, (laughs) but I do try to do that from time to time because otherwise you don't have the great experiences that are, that are out there. Yeah. And that's how we get, you know, different forms of how we, you know, learn from having those different experiences and that that particular character the other thing that got me thinking from the movie and the and the book which I went we had our conversation for you to decide whether or not you wanted to come on my podcast I went on and on about <laughs> those two things but the movie in and of itself has some really great qualities Juanita the movie and it has a I think a particular message and purpose. And then when I open up the book is a whole nother, which there should be. But I said before I, my approach to books and movies, like, oh, the book is always better. But my approach to this was like, wow, the book is great for what it does in the book. And the movie is great for what it does as a movie. Yeah, two different things. Yeah. yeah. And opening up those two different worlds, because one of, one of the things as I continue to think about the text and the the, the movie is that they show the limitations of a world in which this person doesn't fit that the limitations is placed on this person in this particular world so that is a in in both of those but I also enjoy in the book like seeing what we like to call people of color seeing people who are like a like a book focused on different people of color interacting with each other yes <laughs> to keep driving home the fact that we are all unique in of in ourselves and it's not just a white world and everybody else that's right <laughs> that's exactly right yes yes oh also i think the idea of like how dignity plays out in your work for me even in the the character in the movie like cuz this character this person has a sense of self and she's strong and I didn't see her not think she was I didn't ever think that the character in the book or in the movie ever thought that they weren't strong it was just like who or what they were being strong for right not ever herself right good point so Um, yeah she just she was always strong but I think she I think she didn't realize how strong she was Mm -hmm. and she learned a lot about herself on those journeys, both the one in the book and the one that that was taken in the in the film, you know, she she and some of the other characters stepped um, up a few levels. Yeah. Thank you for joining me for this episode of the Tea. We welcome you back for future episodes. I'm Moor Salata Mohammed, your host and producer. The music you heard at the start of this episode was composed by Kasira Mohammed Smith. And until next time, sumum bonum and ubuntu.